This concept of self-love, I think it's aspirational. I don't know that it is something that we can ever have a tick box on, but certainly get into the space where you like yourself. That is something that is realistic. That is something that is manageable. And for me, when I'm in the space where I actually like who I am, I don't have that inner critic running like crazy in the background. Welcome to Not A Real Artist, a podcast by me, Iris Fritchie Cousins. And me, Tamara Sagadevan, discussing relatable creative topics with honesty and humor. Settle in for this next episode in which we've got a really cool guest who, full disclosure, I don't actually know. But I am very excited to talk to her because Tamara introduced me to her and I watched a video and it blew me away. Um, Her clear thinking, her advice, I mean, I know we don't give advice on this podcast, her advice, um, her kind of insights. She's not like other people uh, because other people are not as... um, useful. So uh, Tamara, say stuff that is a bit less embarrassing, please. Uh, okay. Um, by the way, we do give advice on this po- uh, podcast. You're just forced to do it. <laughs> so, True. Okay. Uh, who is this person to me? Well, let me start here. If you look up fucking amazing in the dictionary, you will see uh, this person's name first. Uh, mine probably... 30 spaces down. Uh, Iris, calm down. You're in the top 10 too. (laughs) The person we're talking to has introduced me to the idea that your thoughts matter. And surprise or no surprise, that was not a concept that occurred to me when I was in my late 20s, early 20s, however long I know this person. And um, I will definitely say the catalyst for change in my life. So she's probably thinking, oh God, stop fucking talking. (laughs) But uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Olivia Miller. (laughs) That's everybody should start clapping. Insert applause and cheers. Oh yeah, let's talk all three of us at the same time. That's really good. Olivia, do you want to like, um, in a few short sentences, if that is uh, your remit, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'll try to follow what you guys have just said. So thank you very, very much. Um, I am a full-time coach. I'm an entrepreneur and I guess a lifelong student. I am someone that never wants to stop learning and hopefully sharing some of that knowledge. I believe I have two superpowers. The one is I see potential in people. And the second is that I have this ability to create a safe space where people then want to explore their potential. My job then is to help them get out of their own way and use my skill set in being able to step into that potential because I feel like so many of us consider our lives and then don't want to look back and feel like life has just passed us by or that we are playing small. So yes, I help people step into their potential. I love how you you said with such, like it's not even confidence or courage. I don't know what it is, but my two superpowers are, and I love that. Like I, I want I to be like that. that. I'm trying to cultivate it. Down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to cultivate it, but that's, I think this is a really cool jumping off point for me. I, I know what my talents are, what my skills are most of the time. How do I get confident or courage? I don't know what it is, Olivia. You might be able to tell me to say, hey, my two super, my five superpowers are, et cetera, et cetera. How did you get there? So it's part of my job to help people do that. And so for me, I feel like I have to lead from the front. And how do you say it? You just say it. (laughs) (laughs) My superpowers are, and you finish the sentence. And Tam, I can run through superpowers of yours, humor being one of them, your ability to follow through being another, your ability to bridge the gap between creative and analytical. So, yes. Spreadsheets. <laughs> Iris has recently seen one of my spreadsheets. I thought she, I think Iris thought I was just like puffing myself up. And now she saw it and she's like in love with me, guys. She won't stop messaging me about my spreadsheets. That is entirely correct, yes. (laughs) Because also, sorry, I just want to go back to the spreadsheets because I'm like so excited about them. So I go to a spreadsheet that Tamara has created and I think, okay, this is a spreadsheet. Yeah, this looks kind of nice. It's got like a couple of colors and like, you know, it's tabular data. 
you know, it, it's just a table. I like it. I like it. It's very clear. It's a table. And then like I fill something in and then something changes because of what I filled in. And like it blows my mind because and then it does it again and like in a clever way and i'm like oh my god this is spreadsheet wizardry and and i can only bow down to it so my life is very okay. exciting when tam sends Stop. me a spreadsheet like, this is i know that i'm great you don't have to the two of you need to calm down iris what are your if i say to you what's your superhero power what would you say to me besides being dutch oh, my mind is just my mind has just gone so blank <laughs> And then like the the longer I don't respond, the more on the spot I feel because I know that I know. Okay. So no, actually I know I would, I do know one thing. I, I feel like I'm quite good at tying things together. So having a kind of a, a an overview and then tying it all up and, and kind of seeing the sense and the logic and the meaning behind things, even if what came before sounds like utter kind of like chaos. Um, you know, my, my brain just kind of like makes sense of, 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 kind of chaotic thoughts and stuff like that and finds a thread and then finds maybe a conclusion or an insight or that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think this that, podcast I'm good at that. is like an example of that. You do it all yeah. the time. Yeah. What about you? Tell me your, I, because I know that Olivia just mentioned your superpowers, but I want you, I want to know what you think your superpower is. What do I not think is my superpower? That's a, a better question. <laughs> no. Olivia's shaking her head because she knows I use humor to deflect as well. As much as it's my superpower, it can also be my kryptonite. I think my sense of humor, like Olivia said, everything I really think about myself, yo. But I also think um, this superpower of being analytical in a creative space, which she said, is super important to me because I, I feel that it's something that actually isolated me from the creative space initially. I thought because I was analytical... I could not be creative. And I believe that so strongly. And when I first met Olivia and she was, she was trying to, was, people were trying to understand what type of thinker I was. And I was so convinced. I think it was like that I was logical or analytical. I don't know which uh, label that was. And Olivia came to me and she asked me like three questions and she was like, yep, visual thinker. And she walked away and I was like, how dare she? I'm not a visual thinker. Like I'm not. And she said, based on the presentation you gave today, you're a visual thinker. And once she said that, and she opened that in me, that little tunnel um it became so much easier for me to make peace and understand that my analytics is not something that holds me back from being creative but it actually aids it and my creativity is not something that hampers my analytics but it makes it the fucking bomb so with that little thread in space olivia if i came to you and i was desperate to know what kind of thinker or processor i was because that's important knowing how you process information well, maybe you'd be able to tell us why it's important to know how you process and output information and how would I go about finding out what kind of thinker I am? For those of you that don't know, uh, this recording's actually with camera on, which is beautiful, so we can all feed off of each other. But Iris, you may have watched Tamara's eye movements as she speaks. And when she's accessing thoughts, she's very much looking up. She's literally picturing things. And that's obviously a prompt that someone is visual. And so Tamara doesn't even realize that with her big eyes, it's, it's virtually <laughs> impossible to not notice that she's a visual thinker. You can also very easily listen to, I say very easily, it does obviously come with training, but there is a language pattern that someone that is visual will use. There is a language pattern that someone is who's very much an analytical thinker uh, in my traditional neuro-linguistic programming training. It's called internal dialogue you will understand that this, it's the if this, then that type language. A visual person is going to say, can you picture this? I see this. There's very visual language there. A kinesthetic person speaks around gut and feeling and all of this. And Tam, you touched on such a great point. It's not about putting someone in a single box. We all access all four. There's actually four, visual, auditory, internal dialogue, and then kinesthetic. Often the programming that we go through in life puts us into one area. I was an operations manager for many, many years. So that internal dialogue aspect of me is still very strong, but I, I played very strongly in that space for an extended period of time when actually I'm a very kinesthetic person. As, now, Tam, that does not mean I have co-ord <laughs> or that I can create too many things, but I work very much on a gut level. And 
I guess that is also what allows me to engage with someone and to pick up on a lot of those body language cues, visual cues, and obviously the language that they use. Actually, I noticed something, sorry, Tamara, to use you as an example, but like when you were talking, you were actually talking about what you thought were your weaknesses, actually. You were saying like, oh, well, I thought this and this wasn't compatible and kind of like, oh, you know, if I'm this, then I can't be that. Or if I'm this, then that influences the other thing negatively. Um, And so how do you work with that when um, really what you're saying is like, actually, that was your strength, like Tamara's strength is actually what she thought was her weakness. So how do you um, kind of like change the conversation around that rather than just like, oh, well, actually your weakness is your strength. Like that seems a bit too simple. (laughs) If we think about our lives and we have each faced things where in the past we've, we've noticed things or called them limitations and then they've turned out to be things that have actually served us. We all have those threads. So, so the way that I'm going to explain it, keeping keeping that in context. So we all, both ladies, are you comfortable that we have a conscious mind and a subconscious mind? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of our personality traits, et cetera, et cetera, sit on a subconscious level. Now, the thing about the subconscious mind is that the traits that exist only exist because the subconscious believes it serves us to some degree or another. The subconscious number one directive is actually survival. So if it believes a trait is detrimental, it's not going to tap into that trait, tap into that behavior. So for me, when someone's talking to me about a quote unquote limitation, now this is not in the sense of being fluffy, it's around what does that bring to the table, that limitation, And how potentially can I help someone see it differently or apply it differently so that it's not necessarily a limitation? When you talk about survival and that it's it's interested in survival, that's how I feel about the inner critic, that there's certain things that we could experience that the inner critic then wants to protect us from because Mm. it means death. To be laughed at or ostracized Mm. means death, right? It's a tribal thing. And that's how I feel about my inner critic. And that's the, the usual narrative to to do that that work on your limitations so and i don't know if i'm taking it on a different thread here but whatever <laughs> put your seatbelts on <laughs> i feel that one of the narratives that i sometimes we even say like you need to sit in your shit and you need to like be in your shit but something that really bothers me is when am i sitting in my shit that i'm understanding that i have a limitation and when am i actually wallowing in my shit and, oh, I have a limitation, like, like boohoo. Like, yes, you can feel it. And sometimes feeling it is a part of like letting it go. But what what's the action that comes afterwards? And I think that is the part that I have done with you. So you, Tam, that's your limitation. Okay. What's the possible positives? Okay. But what's the actual work? And would you be able to, if, if that was my issue, my inner critic, I don't want to do this because I'm so scared that I'm going to be ostracized. Like, oh, how would the work look, um, to use your words or Brene Brown? I don't even know. We all use the same words. What is doing the work look like? So, Tam, I am very similar to you in the sense of identify where my limitations are, see if it is serving me, and if it isn't serving me, how do I move past it? In psychology, there's something called a free trait theory, which is the fact that our personalities are malleable. And I always use, I always reference, um, I've done the five-factor personality test, and from a conscientiousness perspective, I am on probably the lowest percentile, (laughs) which means technically I should have very little follow-through. I should um, start something and never finish it, et cetera, et cetera. Fundamentally lazy. And the truth is, is that I can do that. When I am tired, when I'm close to the edge, I default to that. But I have built my life to be one of the most disciplined people most people know. And that is because of the habits I have in place. So you're like, okay, this is a limiting behavior of mine. What am I going to do instead? And what are the small incremental habits that I can put in place that can support me? Okay, I get overly nervous. All right. If you get overly nervous, as I have gotten on this podcast, one of the first things you do, you extend your exhale, you drop your shoulders. Because fight or flight, you tense up. And you try and make yourself small, again, coming back to what the subconscious is doing, 
from a survival point of view. So it's those small things that you do is ahead of an important conversation. How can you manage your nervous system? How can you manage that stress throughout your day? Well, yeah, when you're when you're saying that, like it makes a lot of sense. It makes me think about one thing that I know that I do that really works for me is like I'm a pretty forgetful person, but you wouldn't know because I know this about myself and I plan everything in my um in my calendar and like I set remind like I get it to auto remind me so I don't have to remember. And that makes things, you know, that makes me seem like a very organized person and it, you know, makes my life work easy. The reason that's easy is because I don't have a judgment attached to it. I don't think of myself, oh gosh, I'm such a bad person for blah, blah, blah. However, the parts in my life where I am not able to do that are the ones where I feel like, oh, I'm like this. That's so terrible. I'm such a terrible person. The only way that I could be better is to be not be like that. And it becomes very hard to put systems in place that would help myself because I kind of feel like, well, I'm terrible and I shouldn't need those systems to help me because if I use those systems, well, that's just proof of how terrible I am. Does that make sense? The diary thing doesn't make me feel like I'm terrible, but there are other things that do make me think I'm terrible. And then I can't actually put those building blocks in place because it's just like proof. (laughs) The point on neutrality and that being the space to build from is, is huge. And I think it's really important for me to touch on the fact that I'm certainly not a psychologist here. Um, I am about going, okay, what are the baby steps that we can take in moving whatever that we need to do so that you can step into your potential? And so I just want to bring it back to one of the first questions, which was around superpowers. One of the first exercises that I'm actually going to challenge both of you to do post this podcast. One of the first challenges I do is to help each person really understand what their personal success clues are, to use language that I use. And why that is important, coming back to what you just said, Iris, is because it takes us away from the fact that, oh, turns out I don't entirely suck. Turns out there are some cool things that I bring into this world and we build from there. And that then starts to build momentum. And suddenly the things that used to be big deterrents, big things that we were fearful of facing, we're now in a place to be able to do that. You know, that whole movement around eat the frog, it's been proven that nowadays, not even nowadays, it's, it's been proven that that's a bit of a barrier. Building momentum and then moving into the next big thing and the next big thing is actually the way to go. So coming back to the exercise, what I get my clients to do literally in the first week of my coaching with them is to very bravely send out a WhatsApp to as broad a group of people as possible. Okay. And so the group of people will be people that have known you for ages, friends, family, ex-colleagues, current colleagues. And I really, I challenge people to send out to about 50 people, if possible. And the message says, I'm going through a coaching exercise and I've been asked to reach out to people I respect and admire. If there's one trait of mine that they could take on board, what would that trait be? I, I would appreciate the feedback and of course I'll return the favor. That's how I finish the message. Now, I literally send it to that person. The person just copy pastes and sends it out. We all think we are received in the world in a certain way. And then you send a message like this out. And it is so awkward sending it out. (laughs) Because we all go into this as ego-based. I'm looking for compliments. And yet, it can lead to the most meaningful engagement that you have with so many people. So you send the message out and you are blown away, and I say this because I see it time and time again, by the volume of responses that you get and the depth of response. And also it makes me immediately think about the fact that the way that we think people see us is not the way that people see us because the way we think people see us that's us. That's not them. Yes. And basically what you're saying is you're reaching out and you're saying, well, how do you see me? Not how do I think you see me? Yes. And the, and it's very intentionally asked, what is the positive? So what is the one trait of mind that you would take on board? Because we can all sit here for the next three hours and list our own negative traits. And yes, we've even spoken a lot about that already, where we've got these limitations, how do we get past them? 
but also why don't we just build on what we're really good at? Why don't we play in the space of our superpowers? We're all different for a reason. And that's where a lot of the energy comes from. So you send a message out like this. And it is so powerful because we all think I'm one person at home. I'm one person, you know, out in the world on a social media level. I'm one person with my friends. And yet you will see that there will be a thread that makes you, you. And to build around that thread that is so innate and so natural to who you are, that is where you step into your superpower. And then the other stuff is like, okay, I need to tweak that. I need to build around that. I need to hire someone to help me with that. That's perfectly okay. So are you guys going to do it? Will you send out the WhatsApp? Yeah, I'm quite curious. Yeah. Bold of you to assume I have 50 <laughs> contacts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to do it. I, 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 I'll follow through. Okay. I think also what it, what it does is in, when, you, when you're talking about it, I went back to when I had to do the exercise and I did it over email. And I even sent it to people whom I didn't have a lot of softness for. But when they came back with this, like, I, I want to call it softness. It really helped me develop like empathy, not just for them, but also for myself. It was such a, um, for lack of a better word, as much as it gave me clarity and the thread, just softness. And I like that. I like the fact that this entire process can teach you also how to connect, because I think that's a big part of like what I'm trying to do as a, as a person. I'm always trying to connect. Maybe we can also say instead of us just doing the challenge, if anybody is up to a challenge here on who's listening to the podcast, that they would go at it too. And you can send us your your feedback and tell us how you felt, uh, how if you want to, you can share some of the responses. But I would really be interested to see um, how it worked for our our millions of listeners. Yeah. And also specifically, like, um, I think I'm curious for both myself and for other people, like, what is it that you get back that surprises you? You know, obviously you're going to get responses back where you're like, oh yeah, I see that. Like, I agree with that. But I'm going to guess that you're going to get some, some responses that will surprise you that are things that you don't necessarily think of yourself um and i think that's where for me that's what i'm most interested in for myself because i feel like that's a way in which i can see myself potentially through other people's eyes and take on a little bit of that because i sometimes feel like um you know this total segue but you know how people are always saying like oh you need to love yourself before you can love others which i think is utter bullshit because i actually think that it's 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 fairly healthy to not think uh, we are amazing because that would just make us narcissists. It's actually the fact that we feel that other people think we are nice or great or loving or whatever other people think of us. Um, that's what allows us to feel good about ourselves, not some self-inflated, uh, you know, I'm I'm amazing, I'm amazing, because that's quite empty. It's what other people think of us. Not to say that you should let what other people think of you, like, make uh, influence or 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 be the basis of your self-worth but it is kind of like in a way that is what it is like um when you're growing up when you're a baby your self-worth is determined by those people around you who love you and so in a you know in a more kind of when you step back and you grow up it's still it's still um you know it still applies I don't know. I feel like I love this, like you you need to love yourself before you love other people. Because for me, I need to love myself first to love other people in a healthy way. Um, because when I don't love myself and then I love other people, what I'm trying to do sometimes is fill that gap of love for myself by loving them. Like I, I hear what you're saying. I just, I feel like for me, it's a different kind of take on it. Um, when I don't love a specific aspect of what I do or who I am. I will be looking for that validation from another person and giving them my love uh, in order to receive it in some way. So I, yeah, that's how I feel about it. But I get what you're saying about being a narcissist. And I do want to say, if you ever feel, I feel, if you feel that you're a narcissist, you probably aren't. <laughs> yeah, that's I agree kind with of you one there. of my judgment well. things. <laughs> Can I jump in there and I'll say, I'll meet you guys in the middle. And, and coming back to your earlier, earlier comment around neutrality and being able to put habits in around stuff like that. This concept of self-love is, I think it's aspirational. I don't know that it is something that we can ever have a tick box on. 
but certainly get into the space where you like yourself. That is something that is realistic. That is something that is manageable. And for me, when I'm in the space where I actually like who I am, I don't have that inner critic running like crazy in the background. I then have the ability to be present with people. I don't have that nervous system response um, or the fear constantly running. And therefore, I can be more expansive. I can be more open. I can connect on a deeper level. So for me, self-like over self-love is huge. And going through an exercise like the one we just spoke about, where you get to see how people experience you and the conversations to what you said, Tim, the connection that it drives as a result, that absolutely helps. So for me to get to the place where I like myself, I am then able to show up in the world in a way that I actually want to, rather than having this fear-based driver, ego, whatever you want to call it. So yes, I'll meet you guys in the middle. Not going to get to the point of self-love, understand the aspirational aspect, but yes, I'll aim for like. So like how I've written it down now is like self-like, then self-love and then self-loathe. Like, because you're going to you're going to have all of those things like I'm not going to some days I really do think I'm the shit. And it's not that I I don't know, maybe I am a narcissist that because I said that it means I'm not. Um, but I, I really like this, that like is the space that's probably easier to reach. Love, sometimes you'll feel it. But self-loathe is like just the, the bottom of the I don't want a pyramid. Can we call it a pyramid scheme? <laughs> <laughs> of the pyramid. I like the fact that you said self-like because as soon as you say that, it kind of like makes me feel relief in a way. Yeah, ease. You can literally hear it in your breathing. Yeah, you're not like um, saying, okay, you got to be perfect. Like perfect, perfection is what we're striving for. Like, okay, we're doing all this work in order to um, somehow get to the top of that mountain. It's like, no, actually, we're, we're going to do work that is doable, that's achievable, that is like small steps. And it feels so kind of like comforting um, because, yeah, the, the, it doesn't feel like like we're, we're climbing this massive mountain or trying to do something that kind of at the back of your mind you feel is completely unachievable yeah sure okay I'll trust you but actually I don't think I can do it so yeah no that really helps one of the things about self-love like when you were talking you were saying like the the thing about love yourself and it brings to mind uh the be positive brigade as we like to call them now what's the difference like and you said like and that's much a neutral that's a much better neutral place. But what's the, the difference between what we're doing and this kind of like be positive brigade? Because I don't think that's who, uh, that's what our philosophy is. And I, I'm saying our, like you and I are married, but when we work together, that's not our philosophy. And when we have worked together, that's not our philosophy. But what's the difference between this where you're looking for the, the bright side here versus the be positive brigade? So I can only speak from my perspective here. Um, mm -hmm. and everybody needs to do what works for them. But in our brains, we have something called the reticular activating system. And the reticular activating system is, I always call it the razzmatazz, but it is the programmer of our experience. It decides what is important and what isn't. It's the filter. It's why pregnant women see babies everywhere. Why when you want a certain car, suddenly you see it on the roads everywhere. So I am a huge believer in paying attention to what we are feeding our brains and our life experience with. And therefore, something like a gratitude practice is so huge because you're training your brain to look for the positive. And then suddenly you start to see more of the positive. So I am a big believer in that being the foundation from which we always build. Okay. There is away energy and there is toward energy. Away energy is we are running away from something, trying to get away from pain. And that always, for me, I call it the fire starter, but it's not necessarily sustainable. We've got to have a future-based goal that we are working towards that is aspirational, that'll keep us going. So I'm certainly not against positivity at all. Um, like I said, we all want to experience happiness, joy, fulfillment, it's part of our wiring as human beings. And so being able to understand how we can make sure that those filters and programming is working for us is important. 
But to be in denial about where you are at in the moment, if again, if you're just going to look at it from a physiological perspective, it's not going to serve you. To not notice a stress response, to not notice a fear response, to take that, which for me is actually just information, and choose what you're going to do with it, then you're actually not in control. You're not in the driving seat. And we all know we can shove stuff down and pretend it isn't there, but it's going to find its own way out. And so for someone, and again, I am naturally glass half full as a human being. And I do battle to sit in my quote-unquote pain for too long. Can't do it. (laughs) So what I have trained myself to do, and it is a lot to do with Michael Singer's work, I don't know if you know The Untethered Soul or my favorite, The Surrender Experiment, is to notice when I am having a negative experience or a negative moment and just tap into the somatic experience of the negative emotion. So that now I know what anxiety feels like in my body. I know what anger feels like in my body. And when I can just hand myself over to the physical sensation of it, and you literally drop into, okay, I feel that in my chest. Oh, no, that sits in my stomach. You know that saying, what we resist persists? If you can just attach to the physical experience, you drop through it. And that is so powerful. That for me is the balance again. I love playing in this space of balance of going, okay, negative negative experience, drop through it so I can get to a closer space of neutrality. And then what am I going to do about it? What is my next best step? What is the next action that I can take that will move me in the direction that I want to go? Move me towards something rather than just running away. Or pretending it's not there. So, Tam, I don't know if that actually answers well, I the have question more around positivity. <laughs> okay. It, it does. So, like, the, the one thing that I took away from that is we all want to be positive. And I think I'm, I'm also a glass is half full, generally the glass is too full kind of person. Um, but it's very nice and softening for me to understand that when somebody comes from the Be Positive Brigade, it's because they want to have this this better experience of life. I think what the problem is when somebody kind of puts that on you, you need to do the the kind of work and say, okay, but that's that person's projection on me. I don't need to take it. That's because they're having a tough time in their life. But the other one is that I really enjoy is when you're doing that, this is what I heard you say, um, be positive. You're ignoring your own cues, which are there for survival, knowledge, their data. It's information and data, which our brains are developed to process, design, analyze, and reach a conclusion to drive us in a new direction. Now, I often do this to Iris. I say to Iris, when she comes to me with an experience I don't understand, I ask her what it feels like, and I don't know if she finds it intrusive or not. But the reason I do that is because sometimes I feel that I'm not in touch with my own like like somatic experience, or whatever you want to call it. So when I say to somebody, well, when you're lonely, what does that feel like for you? It's not because I'm trying to, it's because I literally don't know what the physical emotions in my body are. Um, when I am feeling lonely and you gave me another good example when you're feeling stressed and you're having a stress poo like that's the thing to tell you hey we're feeling stressed now and how do you like obviously I know the answer would be sitting in my own experiences but sometimes it's very difficult for me to do when I'm still working on other things like uh, some of the fights I have against my body and allowing it to experience things how would how would I create or cultivate that thing where I can actually allow myself to fucking feel what my body wants to feel? And I know you say feel it and drop into it, but what? How do I get to that first point? Please don't say just feel it. Tell <laughs> me, just need to feel it. No, you. And again, I can only speak to my experience. And one of the the hacks that I have in place is to not assign meaning to it. Okay, right now I'm having a response. What is it? Not what does it mean? What is the physical sensation of this? Drop through it and then you can ask, okay, where did that come from? Sorry, Aris, you were saying. Yeah, I, it makes me think 
of even a step further, which is the difficulty of when you want to feel what you're feeling, but we understand what we're feeling or we understand anything in life through language. And I feel like that's a real big um, uh, like hamperer <laughs> because as soon as you try to understand a physiological feeling or response or sensation through language, you're putting an imperfect filter on it. You're trying to understand something through some through a language that is not made for understanding that um because you're applying a cerebral kind of um filter on something that isn't cerebral and for me that is one of the hardest things because i am a very cerebral person i'm a very languagey person that's why i like you know talking like talking things through and wrapping it up with a like a kind of a linguistic bow because like everything fits together nicely and all of that leaves completely out of it the physical um and emotional experience like the way that I understand feelings is through language, it's through thinking, it's through interpreting, but it leaves out such a huge amount of this experience. And I don't have the answer. I haven't figured out yet how to do it. But I do remember in a previous episode, you asked me, Tam, like, what does that feel like? And my response was like, well, I just feel like, you know, like the, the only response <laughs> that I could give you. Yeah. The only response I could give you was not language based. It was kind of like how, you know, like, well, the, the sound that I made was kind of approximating the feeling that it was, but there was no actual words for it. You do that in your vlogs as well sometimes. And that's the only time, no, that I can actually like really connect with really? what you're feeling because I think you're definitely like, you. today I just feel like, Ugh, and I'm like, <laughs> I get it. And that's such a like cool observation to make. And I don't know what you call this language or where it imitates the, the sound of an animal or the sound that uh, something onomatopoeic? makes. Is that what you mean? Yeah, but I think there's another, there's another like actual... Let's just call it that. Yeah, sure. Great, Iris. Good job. And <laughs> because I no, could it should be just wrong. Be called, it should just be called. Blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah. but that's such a good way to 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 do it. So, like, Iris, like, besides, like, blah, 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 would you say that your painting is your blah, blah, on on paper? Like, is that oh. or is it something totally different? No, that's another. That's a really good point, actually. So uh, for me, painting is a way to access things. And sometimes people ask me, like, "Oh, what does that painting mean?" And I'm like, "Well, it. I as soon as I start talking and saying, well, it means my relationship with the childhood, blah blah blah.' The, you know, I will have applied some interpretation to it that is based in language and that is based in thinking. Whereas, really, when you see the painting and when I created the painting, that was the most true expression of the feelings and of the subconscious that circumnavigates the need for language because language is just imperfect. Um, some people might be able to do it, like people who are poets or people who are writers and who can like craft prose in a way that is very connected to feeling. Um, I'm thinking of that. I read this book uh, uh, called A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Let's pretend that I did. It was the most amazing book that I've ever read. It was like this thick, like I'm indicating with my hands. It was like 10 centimeters thick, I think. It was just like, and it was the most amazing book. It was the most harrowing book. And it was the book that explained, or not explained, but created in prose what it is to have feelings and terrible feelings at that. Um, and I was so impressed. And uh, that book needs all the trigger warnings. If you're looking it up and you want to read it, like read some of the trigger warnings first, because I don't want to ruin your life by you reading that book. Um, but, it, you know, just to say that some people have that skill of putting feelings into language, um, but I don't think I do. For me, language is very much analytical. It's very much talking about things. Language is the conscious construct. So, and and art is symbology, one hundred percent. And and even in understanding that, what both of you have in allowing yourself to experience the emotion in whichever way you want to is both of you have bucket loads of curiosity. And that's what you want to bring is you want to bring curiosity to, to that data point. And that's what I said. It's not about assigning meaning. It's not about the language. It's the, the experience of it. 
And, you know, very cheesy, but you look at the word emotion, emotion. And so both, both of you, when you've spoken around how you're feeling, you're there, and you move your body differently. You want to feel differently, you, want, you move differently. Emotion. Yeah. So and actually, um, is, so I've got two things. One is my experience of singing has a similar thing. So I'm in a choir and doing singing has a similar connection to emotion that hasn't, you know, I bring a very analytical, you know, work ethic to it. Like I want to learn all the words and I want to learn all the notes and all that kind of stuff. That's all very kind of like logical. But then the actual experience at a certain point is completely transformative. But the second thing that I wanted to ask you, Olivia, is how do you deal with it? So my struggle, I guess, when we're talking about all of these things is that it feels like these two things are so incompatible. I feel like so torn into two directions, this very analytical part of myself, which I very much enjoy uh, and very much obviously grew up feeling like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is the, the good part of me, like the part that gets praised, the part that gets me things, the part that makes me feel good, that kind of stuff. And then on this other side there's like the emotional part of me that I feel is so kind of unknowable and inaccessible and it all feels very incompatible it doesn't I don't know it's almost sometimes it feels as if I'm not really living my life in a way uh, because there are so many facets that don't seem to talk to each other like do you have any thoughts on that like I also not specifically like you know hello this podcast is now a coaching call between <laughs> Iris and Olivia no I, I mean like something like talking more generally like people who struggle with the similar thing so I, I did I did want to jump in there and, and I was thinking about a technique that we could do and I was wondering if it's something that we could actually do on the podcast but um because it may dig a little deep, I, I won't go there. What I will say, I'll come back to, there is nothing that is on the table right now that there isn't a good intention behind because your subconscious allows for that only because it actually serves you in some form or another. Okay. I like to sometimes make my clients think of their subconscious though as their seven-year-old self because we know our core values are actually developed in those first seven years you know, and our core values are a, a driver of our behavior for the rest of our lives. But that seven-year-old self who was processing the world, really, what did she understand? Okay, so that seven-year-old self, that part of the subconscious that is driving a lot of the behavior, she's doing the best she can with the knowledge that she has. So there are certain analytical traits that are probably too restrictive for you, but they might make that younger self, that that part of you, feel safe, for instance. So you're like, okay, cool. The analytical side brings safety. That's a, uh, that's okay. Or I can just prove that I'm safe regardless. Okay, bring it out into the light and, and allow for that. And then on the creative side is this brings me joy. This brings me expansiveness. And that feels like that is more in line with my purpose. So when I feel safe, I have the ability to explore. And so because I have the analytical side, I have that strong foundation that allows me, you know, if we go into Maslow's hierarchy of needs, to then move into the next level and, and to look at it from that perspective. So to stop looking at, at, at it as two warring parts, but rather two sides to the same coin. The fact that you have both abilities is such a gift. Now you get to choose how you're going to let them play together rather than work against each other. So I don't know if on the spot that actually serves <laughs> or answers you, but it really is in allowing it and going, okay, this is part of me and so is this. Yeah, no, I, I like it very much. I can see a thought forming in Tamara's head. It's like it's going like... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually just, I'm, I'm just thinking, it's my own thought about my own self. I, I was just thinking, if people think I'm emotionally stunted now, you should meet. You should have met me before I met Olivia. Like just this part you said about it is creating a safeness for you, and that safeness then allows you to come out and play your your creative side. Versus this is a kind of like a no, you stay in line, you go away kind of vibe. And I'm just, I just started thinking about my own stuff. That, that's all. <laughs> I'm very selfish, as we all know. It's always about me. <laughs> and, and just to make this a little more practical, guys, is 
Before I became a coach, um, I was in operations management. Like I said, I was very much in internal dialogue from the way that my brain processed information. And I always say I got the seven-year itch at the eight-year mark because I'm dyspraxic, so I was a little bit behind the curve. <laughs> um, and at that point, um, I really did look and go, what do I love about what I currently do so that I can build? And I, I managed various teams and I love to watch the team members and to help my team members grow. So that became the seed that planted this. You would think then that I'd stepped away from all of my ops. Not at all. My What that has been has been such a gift because I coach in a lot of corporate businesses and so while I'm working with an individual um, in helping them, I can also bring some of my ops skills to the table within the business, going, guys, in order to set your team up for success, we need to put things like KPIs, et cetera. And of course, we live in very different worlds at the moment. I'm talking about with the corporates and all of this. But the point is, is that all of these skills we have we can bring them together uh, and bring it to the table from the point of view of this now makes my ability, my offering, my um, gift unique. For me, on a very practical basis, I step into operationalizing both potential and the very practical aspects of a business. And that's because of the first chapter of my career. This is the second. And you wouldn't necessarily see the bridge, but it absolutely is there because I embrace both. So I'm, to allow I'm with for both. You. The other day we were talking about um, how do you test out new materials? And I said I have a table that I use to test out new materials. And that sounds so, what? <laughs> it doesn't sound, I think, for a lot of people fun, but that's what I got from my analytical side. If then, what? And I think we all of us sometimes like don't discard that that old part of you do yourself a disservice by discarding all that like bomb knowledge that you got from your corporate job or whatever other job you 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 were doing before you decided to do whatever you're doing full time. This is going to sound so out of the blue, but like when you're saying setting yourself up for success, it's like immediately just like popping in my head. As an artist, how do I set myself up for success? And I can give you a few things and then you can actually come and like drop the <laughs> drop the meat uh so i'll drop the well, what is it what do you eat before the meats vegans sorry i'll <laughs> fine i'll drop the sausage you drop the chop uh iris what do you want to drop i'm sorry i can only say something rude right now so like <laughs> <laughs> okay one of the ways that i set myself up for success and this is like a macro thing that i did is i got the help that i needed to get without feeling I shouldn't need it. And I'm talking about experts in the field. And one of those, one of the things that allowed me to do that is because at my job, they told me you can get an expert here, which is Olivia. And then when I was with Olivia, Olivia said, you can get an expert at art, which was Iris. And that's how I live my life. There are people who know more than me, who are better at it that mean that I've gone through the mistakes or whatever. And that's how I set myself up for success. When I know I need to go somewhere and I don't have that, find someone that knows their shit and take it. Then the microwave that I set myself up for success is that every single day I, and I spoke about it before, but whatever, I change my paint water because that is such a big barrier of entry for me. When I get to my desk and my water is dirty, I have to get and wake up from my desk, carry those two jars, rinse them, pour in the water, come back. A hundred things have happened between then and now, including how I'm such a piece of shit. And that bed just doesn't work for me. So when I get to my desk in the morning, water is clean. So macro way and a micro way. Who wants to go first? Can I, can I jump in? Because I absolutely love that. And I'm going to say the same thing as you've said, just slightly differently. There's a Jim Rohn quote that is the, the basis of really, if I were to say, my coaching style, which is that success leaves clues. And very similarly, I always say my mother was uh, uh, or is uh, Sally Fields and I am Forrest Gump. So I have many a quote-unquote quirk limitation in in my learning disability, in my life experience. And my mom was always like, oh, okay, 
well, you're a little different. What are you going to do about that? And one of the biggest gifts that she gave me with me being dyspraxic was she instilled the, the love of reading. And so that was a space where supposedly my brain wasn't wired for reading, but it just happened naturally. And I was able to learn from so many people. So when we think of success leaves clues, there are always people that are achieving the results we want. So we can go and learn from them. But also success in our own lives leaves our own clues. So for me, as part of my evening routine while I brush my teeth, I always reflect on the day. And always think of what went well today, what didn't. Okay. And in looking at what went well, I'm able to start identifying what puts me into my flow state, what puts me into the zone. And those little clues then become the habits that I build in. And the beauty of what didn't go well helps me go, okay, well, what was missing? Ah, oh, today I didn't go for my walk. My walk is my sanity. It's the space where I find my expansiveness. Oh, look at that. Just make sure that I double down on that. So for me, all about success leaves clues. Every time there's a win, what was it about it? What was that? You know, and, and absolutely in your art. Today I lost hours because it was just so beautiful being in the zone, being in that space where everything just flowed. What allowed for that? The build up so that you can start to look and once again, bring that curiosity and identify what is your thread? What is your theme? So that you can build habits around it. Awesome. So we said the same thing, Tim. Maybe you more to yeah, than I did. Well, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I doubt that. But what I do, do want to say is as you're talking like success leaves clues, I'm so sure that I've said that before. And like any good thing that I have to say, you've probably like people can now hear that it comes from you. So like now they know that I'm a fraud, you know. So next week uh, on next week's podcast, you'll just be hearing Iris and Olivia. I'll be replaced. <laughs> <laughs> What um, I will say I heard you say was nice with a very South African accent. You didn't realize. So that I did pick up on. <laughs> that's not um, something you learn from me. That's a South African word. Nice. I sometimes say lacquer on this podcast and then I self-correct quickly and I say which which means good or nice because it's so ingrained <laughs> that I can't. It's just the default. Um, Iris, do you maybe have any... <laughs> I, don't, I no. can't remember how I phrased it. No. What is the meat no. you Just bring to the table, lost. Aris? Yeah, where? Yeah. Without... What was it? The balls. That's what you wanted to say. Balls. I don't have. Um, at this point in time, I feel very ambivalent at the moment. I'm like a little backstory. I'm really struggling with my health at the moment. I'm feeling very negative at the moment. I'm feeling very positively inspired by this conversation. But I think that for me, it would be false right now to be um, trying to think of, you know, this great thing that I did or this great thing that I do, because literally my mind is blank and I can't think of it because right now I'm in a very kind of negative frame of mind. And the reason I'm saying it is because that's the truth right now. And I think that I want to, to share that also for not on purpose, but like kind of for balance as well. Um, because otherwise I'd just be like, oh yeah, here's my great piece of advice. And then I would feel like shit because I'd feel like, well, that right now that's not really true for me. So yeah. Uh, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's part of when Tam and I first chatted about me coming on the podcast was around the importance of being so real. Um, and if we spend any more time together, you'll understand I love an acronym. I love a saying. Um, and one of the sayings is that physiology drives psychology. So when you aren't feeling healthy, when you aren't in that space, it is very difficult to access the positive psychology, that side of it. So to get back to the basics of making sure that your health is managed is so vital, you know, and and yes, in line with we must constantly be happy and as women, you know, put on put on a mm. brave face and a smile and all of that. When so often the basics aren't covered because we are exhausted, because our blood levels aren't where they need to be. It is so, so important that you touched on this. Um, 
Because yes, you get a handle on that and suddenly the lights switch back on and you're like, oh, okay. This is not mental. This was physical. And once I got a handle on that, then I was able to start taking action again. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm actually, I know where, I, I do see the time, but I'm actually doing a piece like on chronic illness right now and creativity, I'm doing a piece. And um, hmm. like the fact that you said that because chronic, and I'm not saying that you have a chronic illness, but chronic illness doesn't always, you can't always physically see it. And I, I was also like struggling with this thought, like when the day I feel like I cannot, like it's gone, how do I get myself up from that? And sometimes this, the I, answer is there is nothing you can do except just like let it pass or, or breathe through it. But um, again, like with me, I value action so much that it's very difficult for me to accept that sometimes. And um, thank you for saying that because it just makes me also feel like, okay, what I'm working on at the moment is actually needed because I was doubting that before I came on this podcast. Again, selfish. Um, but thank you for being honest. And yeah, and I it think that, to me it's very difficult because like I'm a fixer like from from a very kind of young age it's like okay you got a problem well there must be a solution then you're going to go and apply the solution and then you're done and it's actually like especially the more I feel like that actually the mental and the physical are intertwined um that you know in order to sit in your shit you have to let time pass you actually have to spend time and you can't just like say like oh I'm sitting in my shit aren't I great tick the box it's like it is actually a process and um um that's difficult if you're a fixer like me um but obviously hopefully worthwhile in the end <laughs> we'll see <laughs> I'll let you know. Check it. Check in in season ten of Not a Real Artist, and I'll let you know if it had any positive effect. <laughs> Twenty years later, <laughs> I can share that I I have an autoimmune disease. I have something called fibromyalgia, um, and it is something that um, I've I definitely have been experiencing more flare ups in the last couple of years than I have in a long while. And I have my own back to basics that I that I go back to. Um, and some days it's in micro little things that I have to acknowledge to myself that I've achieved and that is good enough. And like I said, acronym for me, it is EMS, but it's not emergency medical services. It's eating, moving and sleeping well. If I can get those three in and then plus my gratitude practice, because in that I find light, no matter what the day is, I find light in the day. But if I can double down on getting good fuel into my body because our mood is so linked to the food that we eat because a lot of our serotonin is actually produced in our gut, uh, moving is not exercise. Moving is just getting a little bit more flow into my body uh, instead of being stuck and contracting and then sleep. Sleep is where everything happens, healing, processing, all of that. Those are the three, I want to say non-negotiables, but I don't get them perfect. But when I'm not well, that's the priority. Everything else comes secondary to that. Um, so, And by no means, again, I'm not trying to fix this for you, Iris, although I am a fixer too. Um, I'm just trying to highlight how I try and manage physical illness yeah but it, like it's useful that you're saying this stuff because then you will only ever have your own experience like your personal echo chamber but when you have these additional inputs of information you find what doesn't work for you what might work for you what actually does work for you so yeah ems back to basics tough time never last those kind <laughs> of attitudes okay um i don't know how to tie this up in a bow iris how are you feeling can you tie it up can i tie it up no absolutely not just listen to the podcast <laughs> just listen to it and do it yourself <laughs> no i mean uh, i feel like this has been such an interesting conversation and like personally like i say i'm in a negative frame of mind at the moment but having had this conversation makes me feel so positive and i am I don't know, like, look, this is my glass. Like, is it half full? 
editor's note iris is holding up her glass with water at the moment it is like it's half yeah half water. Water. i was it's noticing half. the sparkles she says water um, but it's probably vodka <laughs> <laughs> no but um no i would say that i am uh, although i might be a glass half empty person but i'm also i'm a cheerful person i'm not an optimist but i am a cheerful person and and um I, I kind of feel like this conversation makes me feel like there's hope for me um, because what it's given me is something like, so you've given a lot of practical advice and tips and things that we can kind of implement and do, but you've done it with a lot of like um, um, kind of softness and kind of grace and empathy and I feel like that really helps because it makes me feel like there's time like I can try things I can um, do little step implement little you know the little pieces of the Lego house that we talked about in a season one that Tamara told us about her South African castle with a bed knob um, it it kind of makes me feel like um, I don't need to um, do something and then have an immediate payoff. I can like build little things and I can have goals that are achievable or that are kind of like medium in a way rather than like high. And it all makes it feel so much more positive and doable rather than like, oh gosh, I'm doing it all wrong. Everything is shit and it will never be better kind of thing. Does that make sense? It does, and it even makes sense on a brain level, Iris. So I don't think that's you. If that's what you've taken away from today, I'm really grateful. Um, apparently, I was able to articulate some things, which is great to hear. And um, I say that, though, because our brains are strange things. Um, we love progress, and we are fearful of change. So... Lasting change has to be slow and incremental, and it needs to be acknowledged along the way. So yeah. that's oh, one. Wow. That you wrapped it up of... in a nice bow. <laughs> lasting change needs to be. What is it? Lasting. Say it again. Lasting change needs to be slow and incremental, and it needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, I love that. Oh, thank you. Um, do you want to let our listeners know um, where they can find you and, you know, how they can solicit your services and all that stuff? So I am South African based, um, but I coach online. Um, I have a website. Uh, my business is A New Outcome. So the website is anewoutcome.co.za or .com. Um, I am on Instagram. Um, I am on LinkedIn. Instagram is olivia.millard.anu. And my posts there are hopefully very practical, a little bit cheesy because that's actually who I am. Um, but guys, if you have listened this far, I am going to once again challenge you to send that WhatsApp out. Um, I will even send the wording to Tam again and she can pass it on. And if that's all you do, it is going to be the acknowledgement that you don't entirely suck. And that puts a lot of fuel in the tank to go, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, we're going to, oh, I can't wait to listen to all of this again and then like neatly summarize all the key takeaways because I know that they're going to be great. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get into the key takeaways. One, what's your superpower? Can you list two things that make you uniquely you? Two, knowing how you process information can be useful. This can help you communicate more effectively with self and others. Three, you can try to reframe your thinking around limitation by asking, how does this serve me? Or how does this create space for what I view as strengths? Four. You can also take notes and collect data around a limitation you may want to change and build habits or systems that support that limitation. Give yourself the tools to work with the limitation. 5. Coming from the space of neutrality can often help. Not having judgment towards the limitation might make it easier to access the tools or systems you need. 6. 
When faced with a situation or limitation that produces strong emotion, we start assigning meaning to those feelings very quickly. Try taking time to physically feel those feelings and drop into it. Once that happens, then assign meaning to them. Remember, this is a practice. 7. Try out the exercise given, where you reach out to 50 people and ask them to provide you with one aspect of yourself they take on board. 8. Use this feedback to understand the threads across the areas that make you unique and use it as fuel. 9. Instead of self-love or self-loathe, try self-like. This feels like a more accessible and soft place to enter than the other two extremes. 10. Embodying what you want to see in this world will wire your brain to start seeing more of that in your space. 11. Making sure that this wiring is working for us is also important. Actual positivity versus denial are two different spaces. 12. Sometimes we're using language, a conscious construct, to express things that we cannot articulate. This is where art and symbols, or even grunts and physical movement, come in to help us express what we feel. 13. Remember that lasting change has to be slow and incremental, so any advice or ideas you take on from this episode can be implemented with grace and ease. The details for this episode and our amazing guest can be found on the show notes. Have you had any insights during this episode? Let us know on notarealartistpodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please follow this podcast or rate it and share it with everyone who wants to listen to good shows. Until next time. <laughs> I, I no. can't remember how I phrased it. No. What is the meat no. you bring to the table, Aris? Yeah, where, yeah. Without. What was it? The balls. That's what you wanted to say, balls. Um, I is that the thing you got frostbite on earlier <laughs> um, oh that, that bit wasn't in, actually in the podcast oh. <laughs>